Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode 160 of the Get Around Podcast. My name is Jake Adnip. I will be your host today via FaceTime, hanging out with me, my friends James Cook and Andrew Rosenthal. We had a busy weekend last weekend. We have a big show for you guys today. Uh, we have to talk about the state finals. Cadillac and Traverse City St. Francis made their trips on the Ford Field. We're going to break those games down, tell you exactly what happened, and categorize their run for you guys. We're going to make sure that we get into our great interview this week with Traverse City St. Francis sophomore Wyatt Nostatus. Looking forward to a basketball season while he recovers from a hip injury. Kind of a particular situation for him, so it's very interesting to hear uh, from somebody recovering and amid one of these shutdowns. And we're going to get into the chatter that matters after the interview with Wyatt. I'm uh, going to address a column that I wrote this weekend about football in northern Michigan. Uh, we will talk more about that later. And then we're going to get into our Hall of Fame for state championship week. I think I have a couple ideas of who is going to get nominated. And we're going to get into our trifecta, which we're kind of going to start the episode with a little bit, but we're going to get into it more. Uh, the Lions are getting rid of Matt Stafford, kind of by the choice of their own, but also by the choice of Matt Stafford. I have one question now, and we're going to talk more about that in our trifecta. The trifecta is going to be, where do we think Matt Stafford lands and what we get back for him? But I have to ask you guys to start off with, is this a good idea, and or did we see it coming? I was a little surprised when it, when they announced it. It's uh, kind of sunk in a little bit more since then, and if they're doing a rebuild, then it makes sense. If, if they can get what they think they can get for him, which is a first-round pick and something else, then go for it. If they can't get a first-round pick, why bother? The more I thought about it, the more, okay, I, I am strictly a sports business guy. Like, this is what I care about when it comes to sports. Well, I care about watching the games, obviously, but this is what I'm interested by. He had three years left on his deal on a contract that ranks 16th in the NFL. That's a very entertaining trade offer to a team. That's cheap. Yeah. He's a quarterback of his caliber. Yeah, he's affordable. I mean, as $20 million this year and 22 next year. For an NFL quarterback is very middle of the nowadays. Middle. Nowadays, yeah, of quarterbacks that aren't still in the rookie year deal, he's one of the cheaper ones out there right now. I, but, he's owed the cap hit would be what thirty three million next year, twenty six million in twenty twenty two. Still pretty high up. Free agency in twenty twenty three. I'm pretty yeah. sure that Aaron Rodgers is making around that. Salary, his base salary is twenty and twenty two, and that would be traded. But so I, makes it very attractive, I think, to potential suitors i think the biggest thing is that he has multiple years left on his contract not just one uh that he would you know have to re-sign with a new team is that when a team gets him they're gonna you know have him for a couple of years to figure it out but i just think it's the best idea because you know james and i had this conversation on saturday you know he he leaves the lions in a time where you know we'll never really know technically if he was quote unquote the problem um, I know nobody would ever say that, but there, there's gonna there's a whole new regime. I mean, they literally just revamped the entire front office, the entire coaching staff from top to bottom. Just it's this franchise is going to look 100% different at the beginning of this coming year. Matt Stafford, I feel like had to be a part of that. If not, you're kind of still grasping at straws, holding on to what didn't work. When you get into the new head coach and what they want to do, even if Matt Stafford could have been a part of that. Is that how you want to build your team into the future off of, you know, a 12-year veteran? Or is it like, hey, let me bring my guys in. Let me do my thing. Because you saw what happened with Matt Patricia, you know, kept it that way. And then was like, let me bring in my defensive guys. They didn't really work out. But if you go ahead and you take Matt Stafford out of the equation, I think that that just, once again, that frees up 20-plus million dollars in cap space if we can draft a couple of rookies. I just, I'll put it this way. I give the Lions three years of a rebuild. They better be contending in year four. Yeah, you would hope even sooner than that. I mean, you've seen teams do it faster than that. Follow the Miami blueprint. It's basically 
trade away all your veterans for draft picks and stink for a year and then draft a quarterback. Do not do the Chicago model, trade away your draft picks for veterans and then stink for four years. All the talented quarterbacks that you've seen come in the league in the last 10, 20 years, they get drafted in the top five, and half the reason why they fail is because they're put on an awful team. The guys you see drafted in the back half of the first round get have a much higher success rate than the guys drafted in the first half, almost. Talk about like something like Jimmy Garoppolo. He was like, what, 16 or something like that he got drafted? Just second round. Yeah, well, was he second round? Exactly. So... We'll, we'll, we'll get more into the Lions later. We have plenty to talk about. I have a couple of ideas where I think he should land, or at least that would be good for him, and hopefully what we can get back for him. We'll talk about that a bit later, but let's go ahead and get into the pulse and put our finger on the heartbeat of the sports world. Obviously, we have a couple things to talk about. We have to talk about the state finals, and we have to talk about the extended shutdown for winter sports. We're going to start with things in the past, and then we'll start looking into the future. James, you had a fantastic second half a fantastic story to write uh, with Traverse City St. Francis. Them almost coming back from a 28-point halftime deficit to beat New Lothrop. Um, you know, it, that was one heck of a game to watch. Can you tell us exactly what uh, went down at Ford Field in that Division Seven state championship? Yeah, I mean, at halftime, I was ready to start writing a whole different story. I mean, it was 35-7. It did not look good. Julius Garza was cutting them up. About the only thing that slowed him down was when he puked after one of his touchdowns. On the, on the turf there at Ford Field. As, aside from that, they had a hard time containing him. They were able to kind of contain Cam Orr, the, the huge defensive end who plays quarterback, um, and he gained a decent amount of yards and stuff, but uh, you know he didn't make a whole lot of those big plays aside from passes and stuff to Garza. But uh, at, at halftime, it just did not look good. And uh, then the second half came. I mean, it was still only 35-15 to 15 after the third quarter. So they were still down three scores going into the third quarter, and they got within a touchdown on two different occasions. Um, it just turned out to be a, you know, a pretty amazing comeback. Um, Aiden Schmuckle scoring a couple of short touchdown runs. Uh, Charlie Peterson running one in on a quarterback sneak. Josh Groves catching a great touchdown pass where he oh, uh, man. Yeah. all was out of bounds, and he dragged a foot in the end zone. The ball wasn't even in the end zone. Yeah, you're talking about two, you're talking about two feet in. Professional, this was, it was so beautiful to see on TV. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with the with the replays, it was great because you could see the the rubber coming up where he was dragging the toe and everything. And it made me think, like, is that can you do that? Like, if the ball doesn't break the plane, but your toes are in the end zone, I've never seen that in football before. Well, it, the thing was is that in that game, if you looked at the replays, they didn't have the actual camera angle available for the high school games directly on that that side sideline it was only mm-hmm. from like a like at like the four yard line on the other side of the field so the angle to see if it was actually breaking the plane on replay was just like almost impossible that, that was a that was a call that i was like oh man how do you make that call how do you reverse it if you don't have solid evidence yeah they because the call on the field was touchdown right mm-hmm. yes it was touchdown on the field but i don't know that he even that on a catch the ball has to break the plane it's the it's the feet that's that's the thing. Because like if the quarterback essentially throws the ball out of the back of the end zone and your feet are still in bounds, you never had possession of the ball while it was like in bounds. In the square. Right. But it still but that but that still crosses the plane of the end zone if it's at the back Not, end of the touchdown. But I mean, you know, nonetheless, you know, holy crap. What like, yeah. what a catch. Great great catch. And then Jimmy Uslakovich's punt block, that set up one of the touchdowns. That wasn't even a designed punt block that was supposed to be they were going to set up a wall for a return on that and uh instead he decided to to rush because he saw a gap uh between some of the linemen and just got in there and 
set him up inside the 10. And one play later, Aiden Schmuckle. I mean, I, that's what I noticed in that game, too, is Aiden Schmuckle was all over the place. He was all over Cam Orr. And when, when they were running that read option, he was popping kids who didn't have the football. Like, they were playing eyes on football in that second half. And Aiden Schmuckle was like, that's my guy. I'm taking him out. Yeah, he hits like a Mack truck. I mean, that that kid, and just plowing ahead, just not even trying to avoid contact and running plays and stuff. He, you know, he's one of those guys that like truly would uh, would rather run you over than run around you. And he was just all over on defense as well, like you said. I mean, even on offense, you saw him. You saw him take direct snaps there at the two yard line, and he was he was about to start running before he even got the football because he's like, I'm putting my shoulder down and I'm getting in that end zone. Yeah, and, and the other thing that kind of stands out was uh, something that I tweeted during the game was the the discrepancy in size in that game. New Lothrop's or yeah, New Lothrop's uh, offensive line. Their smallest guy in the offensive line was two fifty, and they went all the way up to like two eighty five. It was like 250, 255, a couple guys in the 260s, and then like a 285 or 275 guy, something like that. St. Francis' biggest defensive lineman is 210 pounds, and they're starting base defense. And so they were giving up a lot of size to these guys. So I was surprised even in the second half when New Lothrop went to a, you know, a more conservative running game to protect the lead and run clock off that – St. Francis was so effective at stopping them because of that massive size discrepancy of giving up like at least 40 pounds a guy across the front. The one thing that I did see about that that kind of surprised me was that New Lothrop didn't, like, when they're trying to run their time off the clocks with those big guys, they really still weren't running between the tackles. They kept on going off edge, trying to run that read option off the tackle, and St. Francis was sealing the ends just like crazy. I think that might have been one of their advantages. They were a lot faster than those tackles were able to get around them and kind of seal off those edges and then let basically Aiden Schmuckle come running up the middle and just just tackle Cam Orr. Mm-hmm. And, and Orr is a big kid, too. I mean, he's 230, 240 maybe or something like that. He's, he's a big kid. He takes a little bit to get going, to get up to top speed. And so getting around that edge, I don't know, was necessarily the most, most uh, beneficial thing to do there. Yeah, St. Francis was reading it. Their linemen were occupying people, and their linebackers were just hitting the gaps in between, stealing around the edge. I think there was that one play. I think it was fourth down and one near midfield on the last drive of the game, or the second to last drive of the game, in which they scored. They gave Cam Orr the ball right up the middle, and he got like two yards, and that's all that they needed. And that was, I was like, why weren't you doing that more often with him? But once again, what worked for them in the first half really worked for him. Mm-hmm. And Josh Sellers after the game, you know, it was – both coaches after the game and the press conference were really complimentary to the team and everything like that. But Sellers really just started things off by saying, you know, it was night and day between the first half and the second half. And, you know, that they challenged their kids at halftime and said, hey, we can either go home right now or we can win the second half and try to make this a game. Obviously, they chose the latter. Now, uh, I'll go on over to the Division Four game with Cadillac versus Detroit Country Day. You know, Cadillac made it down there after beating number one Edwardsburg in just a battle, a uh, battle of attrition, really, with that stop two-point conversion and a bunch of goal line stands, which I think you saw their defense just show up once again in that game. They lost 13-0, to but they literally had another two or three goal line stands in that first half. You know, Detroit Country Day did a 12-play drive and a 17-play drive in which they looked like they couldn't really stop them, and then they got down on the red zone, and Cadillac just buckled down. There was nothing that Detroit Country Day could do inside of the red zone that Cadillac was not ready for or was not going to stop. They got all the way inside the five-yard line and were just running up the gut, running up off tackle, running around the outside. Nothing was working. Cadillac was able to shut them down 
hold them to two field goals. So, you know, going into halftime down 6-0, to zero, I know that Cadillac was – they had to be feeling good. I know I was feeling good when I was sitting there. I go, they, they really got a good shot at pulling this one off because Cad- Detroit Country Day couldn't get much going. Uh, with Cadillac's defense, Detroit Country Day had a f- couple of big linemen. You kind of talked about the size discrepancy with New Lothrop and Trevor C. St. Francis. You were there doing color tweeting for us, and you brought up the size of these kids uh, that one of them, you know, going to Northwestern on Detroit Country Day's defensive line. That's a big size discrepancy there, too. Yeah, it was it was big. It was just as big, I think, there as it was with St. Francis. Uh, in Country Day's offensive and defensive lines, were it was just a stark difference in size um in the trenches and that for Cadillac to be able to stand up to those guys and keep that game close um was a pretty big deal country day having uh an effective kicking game helped get those two field goals that makes it a different game otherwise it's a seven nothing game and seven nothing game Cadillac's offense you need one drive that's it but you know a two game a a two score game it's you know a little bit it's a little different when you because you you know they generally need time they have those kind big time consuming drives where they're picking up five four five three five yards and stuff so if, if they hadn't had that kicker and it's only a seven to nothing game in the second half it could be a whole different ball game yeah yeah and like i mean you bring it up i mean they were down 14 points at halftime to forest hills eastern in the regional final and what really really helped in that game is they were able to force five turnovers and have a couple different little shorter fields in that game to come back from 14 points down and put up 21 points in that second half. Uh, Detroit Country Day, on the other hand, did not let that happen. They fumbled the ball twice, one which I was kind of upset about, but they it was third and I think 17, and Detroit Country Day completed a pass and only made it about a seven or eight yard pass. So the guy, the kid still had about 10 yards to run, and then he took off running down the field, and somebody caught him from behind and hit the ball and poked it out, and the ball fumbled forward like 15 or 18 yards. And it just so happened that they already had another wide receiver downfield on a streak who was a little bit ahead of the Cadillac kid and was able to fall on the ball. So it gave them a first down off of the fumble on like third and 18. And I was just like, man, like talk about some crappy luck right there. You're going to fumble the ball once that goes 15 yards forward on a pivotal drive and you can't really do much about it. But yeah, I mean, you know, Cadillac, uh, their defense just kept on fighting and fighting and fighting against that Country Day offense. Um, no matter what they threw at them, they were able to, you know, kind of offset it. But I think the co- Detroit Country Day coach kind of said it best at the end of the game. He said, the way that we knew we were going to win this game was kind of play their game and was do take the ball and hold on to it and get them off the field and bleed the clock like Cadillac normally likes to bleed the clock. That, that's what they ended up doing with their like I said, the 12 play, a 17 play. Some of these were nine-minute drives from Detroit Country Day, and that's what they said was their strategy and I, I you know it ended up working out in the long run yeah so I mean congratulations to obviously Cadillac making the first trip to Ford Field to the state finals in school history nothing to scoff at whatsoever beating the number one team in Edwardsburg coming back from that 14 point you know deficit against Forest Hills Eastern and then obviously you know Trevor City St. Francis uh, kind of going against the odds as well and making it all the way down there rolling through Cass City in that really tight defensive game and uh, make another trip down uh, we'll hear a little bit more from Wyatt Nausatis, uh, the sophomore who went down there with the Gladiators here in just a minute, about that experience. But before we do, we have to talk about the winter sports shutdown and the news that we got on Friday. Once again, we were sitting there at the state finals, and then we get another news dump from the, the governor uh, Friday morning, Friday afternoon. When sports are supposed to start back up on February 1st, we're going to delay them another 20 days. James, you were in the press conference today that had a little inkling of what may have happened, but and, and you, you wrote a column about it this weekend uh, and just you know, why is this happening? And I don't think any of us really know. That, that, that is the thing is that, no, that nobody really knows. They won't concretely say or present their data or evidence. Governor Wimmer and the availability today 
hinted at that uh, that came as a result of the two COVID variant outbreaks in uh, two downstate counties uh, near Detroit. So one was Wayne County, and I can't, I think the other one was Washtenaw. Yes, and the Department of Health and Human Services actually did send a letter to uh, University of Michigan saying, we, we found this thing in your guys' athletic department, and we're, we're asking you to please uh, stop playing sports and stop practicing and stop traveling and do it, don't do anything for 14 days. But I'm yeah. more sad. I'm more sad for our basketball athletes. We, I mean, our wrestlers, our hockey players. I mean, they're able to practice in a non-contact fashion, which you know, for basketball players, probably shoot arounds, layup lines, uh, you know, dribbling drills where you're there by yourself. Um, a lot of it, obviously, is still going to be spent in the weight room, you know, because that's still considered non-contact. Be able to do those types of things. Um, but you know, when it comes to you know hockey or obviously wrestling, I don't know what you can do other than skip around a mat and weightlift. Uh, if you're not doing contact, James, you were a wrestler in high school. Can you just imagine what that might be like for the next 20 days before getting to compete for what seems like five weeks before they would be in the finals? Yeah, I mean, you can you can do some things individually, like working on technique on moves, sort of. It's not the same as having a, a person there to practice it on, but some of the technique and the repetition that you do in in certain basic moves, you can probably replicate. Like I said, it won't be the same, but it's going to be what they can get in. I mean, otherwise, yeah, you're talking conditioning, cardio, uh, watching your your weight, getting your alpha weight set, that kind of stuff, so that uh, when the season comes around, you what you have and who at what weight classes you've got and stuff. And, and conditioning, weightlifting, probably a lot of running. Probably a lot of running for these teams. I, I know the one thing I'll just say about this is that I remember, I've said this at the state finals, actually. It was like, you know, we did the pilot program. We got football finished, and now this is all happening like this. It's like... The fact that, you know, I, I was a proponent, maybe not in November, but way back at the beginning. I said this many times. It's like I really just never saw football happening, what they were going to do, how they were going to do it or whatever like that. It's gotten increasingly, increasingly harder for me to understand what is going on in the, you know, the government and them making these decisions. Obviously, we don't have the numbers. We saw the pilot testing program had a 99.8% negative rate out of 36,000 tests taken. There was, I believe the numbers were like 5,500 students. 36,000 tests over the course of a month, and they had a 99.8% negativity rate, which is well, 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 well below the actual like state average for all COVID tests. Which Yeah, the statewide average is 6.2, I believe, right now, and that's declining. Yeah. And it's still way, way higher than, than it was with the football teams. 0.02? I mean, so it shows you that, that they can do it safely in a contact sport in which they allowed at the end of the very end of the season them to play indoors as well which was supposedly one of the one of the bugaboos about this you know that they couldn't do that do anything indoor so that's supposed to be the thing with basketball is that it's indoors where it's supposed to be more transmitted but you played football games there you played volleyball games there even though that's not contact between the teams but the players will occasionally come in contact with each other so yeah it is it is frustrating because it doesn't seem to jive you know i guess and, you know, and in hockey, I, you know, the, the players are wearing an incredible amount well, of equipment from equipment. You know, they've got, you know, half of the players at least already wear the plastic bubbles. So that's essentially a mask. Uh, and what little isn't covered there, they have uh, pieces they can add on to the helmets that will make it compliant. And then the people who wear the cages are just going to have to either put something inside the cage or wear a mask underneath it. 
and I, I think it was Chris Givens that said it, and I did actually see this, and he posted it. He goes, you know, on average, even the best scorers in the NHL might spend like 40 seconds of body-on-body contact playing, you know, hockey. Um, even in yeah. contact with the puck, they don't really possess the puck that often if you go across an entire team. Yeah, because the contact is very fleeting. It's very minimal. You, you hit a person, and then you bounce off them. And then you go you away. You don't maintain contact with that person for very long at all. As long as it's not a fist fight where you're throwing jerseys over each other's head and you got helmets off, you're probably pretty okay in hockey, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, basketball, I mean, obviously there's, there's, there's less, le- the body is less covered because the uniforms are smaller and stuff. There's less protective equipment and there's, you know, skin-on-skin contact. But if you're testing these teams, they've been tested, then that shouldn't matter. You've got two kids who have tested positive or tested negative repeatedly over the last week, posting up on each other, you know, in the lane. It shouldn't matter. You're not spreading anything. Something I do want to add is the Lisa State's response to why they aren't doing the testing program for the the fall or the winter sports is what we got an email from DHS spokesperson Lynn Sutphin. The data from the pilot is still being compiled and analyzed. You know, we're still prioritizing our testing supplies to prevent outbreaks in congregate settings, which means nursing homes. Um, we're also starting a new program to support school reopening plans by providing testing resources for teachers. It, it appears that they, the tests that they could have been using for the winter sports are going to be reallocated to teachers and administrators so they can reopen schools and possibly even the kids going into schools. I, I knew that this was going to be an issue the moment that they started it because – we were in a very small sample size using that pilot pilot program, right? 5,000 student athletes between volleyball, swimming, and football. You talk about basketball, there's boys and girls, 10 people per team, wrestling, hockey. This is, this is tens of thousands of athletes. Yeah. Possibly testing three times a week. You're talking about actual hundreds of thousands of antigen tests. That is not as widely available as, say, 30,000 antigen tests. It's well, just... it's not to say that it isn't available, but just ask if you're the MHSAA and you're asking a state in a global pandemic, give us 100,000 tests. Do you think that conversation is going to go over well? I'm, even if, you know, they originally were paying for it, that's just a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So we're going to go ahead and dive into our interview with Trevor City St. Francis sophomore Wyatt Nosatis to talk about that shutdown and what it was like going down to Ford Field with the Trevor City St. Francis Gladiators. Let's go ahead and give a listen to that now. The Get Around Podcast is extremely excited to welcome in Trevor City St. Francis football and basketball player Wyatt Nosatis. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Get Around. Yeah, thanks for having me. We have a lot to talk about uh, with the Gladiator, obviously with the sports shutdown and football just ending, a state a run to the state finals. Um, we're going to get into that, but as always, we have to start off with our Freaky Fast Five, a nod to our sponsors at Jimmy John's. This might be a little soft of a question, but what is one of the funniest ways you've ever been hurt? I know that you just went through the playoffs with a little bit of an injury, but what's the funniest injury that's ever happened to you? Last year, basketball season... I believe it was against Grayling. It was after a foul, and I jumped up to grab the ball as high as I can, and I was just trying to show off how high I could jump, and I uh, came down and sprained my ankle. Oh, wow. What is your biggest pet peeve? Chewing. Chewing loud. Gets on my nerves so much. James, what you got? I shouldn't be uh, doing my popcorn rankings while he's around then. <laughs> uh, who? What celebrity do you think Coach Sean Finnegan looks like most? 
Because I have an answer for this. Oh, man. I don't know. The first thing that came to mind, I don't know why, is LeBron James. I don't know why. <laughs> All right. Is he in the room? I, I don't know. It's the, first, it's the first thing that came to my mind. Is he, is he there? He is here. He's right next to me. Yeah, okay. so that's why you said it. Earlier. <laughs> that's why we say it. Travis Kelsey. I agree. Travis Kelsey's a good one. That's better than LeBron James. Why, if you were, if you could be a wall anywhere in the world, where would you be? Like you're stuck somewhere and you gotta watch this thing your whole entire life. A wall anywhere. I, I think I'd love to be somewhere, some type of arena. You, you could get any, any uh, entertainment you want there. Yeah, get some live music shows, a couple of basketball that, like, games, sports, every Pistons game ever. Yeah, yeah. Little Caesars, Little Caesars Arena would be bad. You have hockey and It'd basketball go. Music, sports. All right, we got one more. How much money would it take for somebody to for you to go bald for the rest of your life from this moment on? I'd say like hundred thousand. Hundred thousand one time payment. You're bald the rest of your life. Yep. Somebody pony up that money. I'd love to see it happen. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't. That's the Freaky Fast Five. A nod to our sponsors at Jimmy John's. Always great to get to know our athletes, but we do have to dive into the rest of our interview here. I know that. I mean, we can start with what is just happened. You guys just made a run down to the the state finals for the first time in about eleven years. Uh, obviously, it's been one of the toughest seasons ever uh, for football. I, once again, I know that you're on the sidelines for that game, but can you just tell us what the experience was like in the run all the way down there with your team? It was amazing to start off the playoffs, and we had no idea if we were going to keep playing. We got canceled. We came back. We made the run. Um, the trip down to Ford was amazing. It, the experience was amazing. Being around your teammates and seeing how hard you have to work to get there and following the lead of our seniors, seeing seeing what it takes to be to be good, be great, and make it make it to the state finals. And obviously that helps for future because now I, now I know what it takes. Now you see that. What, it, what were the emotions like for somebody sitting on the sidelines in that second half when you guys are storming back and making every play possible to, to try and win that game? I'm sure you had to be jumping around just, just going we crazy. Were, we were shocked. It was, it was pure adrenaline. We were all, all on the sidelines. No way this is happening. Jimmy Muzakovic uh, blocked the punt. And I think, at least for me, that's when I was like, we, have, we got a chance at winning, winning this. We could win this. It, it was it was. Pure adrenaline. We were all. Everyone was so excited. And you, you had the thing about the uh, how much it would cost for your hair. I, w- I was told to ask you about your hair and if your curls are natural. They are natural. They, they did come out of nowhere. Uh, last summer, when we got shut down for COVID, I was like, didn't go out, didn't do much. So my hair got long, and I got out of the shower. I'm like, I don't feel like doing my hair because I used to comb it, and I'd towel dry it, and I'd go sit around the house and do online school and. Next thing you know, my hair starts curling. I'm like, I have curly hair. Like, I can wear my hair curly. So that's that's how it came. So this is a first for you. This is the longest your hair ever been? It is. Yes, this is probably the longest it's been or close to. So is there a plan to continue to grow it out and see how long the flow can go? Mm, I wouldn't say grow it out, but obviously keep the curls. Is it like a Nauseta specialty now? It is, yes. <laughs> or, is that, or is that like the playoff curls? Is that like they do with the beard? Like, we grew the curls and now we know it's a success breeder. Sure. Yeah, we could call it that. So are you going to try and get to your basketball team now for the basketball season? Uh, is everybody going to try and grow their hair out into some curls? Maybe get a perm for everybody? For all, I mean, that would be pretty cool to all have curly hair, but I think everyone's going to get their care, hair cut for the, for the season. Coach Finnegan really highlighted you last year as a breakout player as a freshman. I know you got a couple of varsity starts towards the end of the season. Uh, how are you looking to build off of that, not to avoid, like I guess you could say, a sophomore slump? Obviously, in the gym, in the gym a lot. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity I was given, and I, I think I took it and went with it well. And uh, 
pick up from last year and even better from that. Just work harder than I did last year, grow from the mistakes that I made last year in the season, and obviously take an even bigger leadership role than I had last year. We've only seen you obviously for one season, uh, but mm-hmm. you did—you know—took control of the basketball there, like you said at the end of the season. Being being the guy who is the driving force, um, you know, handling the ball most of the time, driving the lane. Uh, just w- was that how it always was? Is that something that you kind of fell into as you got to Traverse City, St. Francis? What role do you like to play on a basketball team? Um, in a way, that's how it always has been. Middle school, yes, but I think from my eighth grade year to my freshman year, um, one of the varsity coaches coached me in eighth grade a little bit in middle school, and obviously I played a lot of travel basketball, and I learned to grow into my body, and I learned how strong I was and my size, and I, I learned that I'm fast enough and I'm big enough that I can drive and I can, I can play outside, inside. I can do, do everything that I want. Is, is basketball your main sport then? Yes, for sure. Okay, okay. Now, yep. uh, if you had to liken your game to somebody, I know we've seen you, but for our listeners, if you had to liken your, your game to somebody that people would know, who would you, or who do you emulate after? Ooh, I, I would say, you, you mean like NBA? Yeah, I or, mean, or I mean, it's current, former, if there's a college player you like, just who, who do you look at yeah, to kind I, of take from? I would like to compare my game a lot to someone like, a little bit like Tyler Hero, or um, a little bit like John Morant, something like that. Okay, those are a couple of good young stars there. Yeah. Now, are, are you still growing, going into your sophomore year? I know this is yeah, usually when, bo- when boys are hopping up there, so. So I actually just got my x-rays for my injury, and... All the x-rays came back, and my growth plates are still wide open, so hopefully I have a couple more inches in me. Okay, Okay. so yeah, how are you recovering from that injury? I know that this, well, we can kind of talk about that. Uh, the shutdown's a little extended, but how are you recovering from that, and what's it looking like coming back on a timeline? It, it's, it's been very long. It, it, it happened, uh, I believe, 10 weeks ago, 9 weeks ago from now, somewhere around then, and I haven't been able to do much, and I, I just got cleared to run this past weekend, and it's it's going it's going well. Um, very slow, but I'm looking I'm looking to be cleared hopefully this week or late next week, and I'll be good to go from there. Slowly get back into everything. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. I've been in the gym a lot, being doing what I'm able to do. Did you do uh, AAU this summer? Or I that- did. Yes, I played. So obviously, COVID. There was nothing in the state, but I went down to Indiana with Grand Rapids Storm and played in a couple tournaments, and then I worked out a ton with. Uh, Coach Shuba and Trevor Hoffman. How many games did you get in? Just curious. I played, I want to say I played two or three tournaments. Actually four. I played a couple with Northern Exposure. I probably got in four tournaments, probably around 20, 20 games, which is nice. Now, we can talk about how many games, obviously, that have kind of been erased from this season. Uh, but mm-hmm. with you being injured, I mean, you kind of probably have a little bit of a different perspective. Um, yeah. You know, th- this new Good. shutdown, at least as of right now, you know, is extending through February 21st. Yeah. Which I mean gives you in as an individual more time to get back and ready before play even starts. I'm so thankful for it. Yeah. So I mean, it, just in general, how has that been for you as an individual? But then, what are you hearing from your teammates about the shutdown and what it's doing for everybody else? So obviously, I'm thankful because I get to have an even longer break to do rehab. I can strengthen, get my legs back to strength, everything to, that I need to do to be healthy and come full speed for the first game. Obviously, my teammates are all disappointed except the football players because the football players just came off a season, so now they can get into basketball shape. But the basketball players that don't play a winter sport, or sorry, uh, fall sport. Feels like all, winter. <laughs> yeah. Are all pretty disappointed because they, they want to play. And I, I would want to play too. I'd be, I'd be super disappointed, and I am that they don't get to play, but I'm very, I'm very thankful for the time I have to get back to full speed. 
I know that was one of the things that kind of helped out with football as well is that there was some guys down and out back in November, but you had whatever, six, yep. eight weeks to kind of get back. What Now that, you know, the shutdown's on, you guys are basically forced for no contact practice. Like you said, you're in the gym. You're, I, know, I know you're president of these things. What does practice look like for a basketball team right now that you aren't able to really do everything you're supposed to be doing? So I, I, can, I can tell you because I've been at football. I've been at football at practice preparing for the state championship game and playoffs and all that. But I do know it's just—it's probably looking a lot of shoot around, a lot of layups, a lot of non-contact, doing the skills you can without having contact, like ball handling and stuff like that. What 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 kind of advice would you have for a player like Anthony Rival, who's also a guy who's coming in as a freshman and looks like to be somebody who's going to play a lot at a at an established program? And yeah. What kind of freshman pressure is there? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm good friends with Anthony, so I've talked to him a lot. But I think the biggest thing is confidence. And you, I mean, you have to believe in yourself. You have to know that you're capable of doing what one people tell you and one that the role that you're given. And obviously I was given the opportunity. So I would tell people like Anthony or Anthony to uh, be ready for the opportunity. And you have, when you have the opportunity, take it because you can do a lot with it. And like I said, you have to be confident. I mean, you have to know what you're capable of and you have to push yourself. You have to work hard. So how much does it help being a lefty, being a natural lefty in, in basketball? How, how much does that throw people off um, and when they're trying to block your shot and it's coming from a slightly different angle than they expect? Yeah, I love it. First of all, every time you step on a court, obviously you want to push someone to their weak hand, and everyone pushes me left the very first time they guard me. So that's a free basket right there. And then, obviously, on a shooting standpoint, it's different from everybody else, and I love being different. That's something I love about being a left-handed uh, shooter, ball handler. It's different. Everyone puts your hand up differently. They try to guard you right-handed, and then you shoot your first shot left-handed. So stuff like that. I just love being a southpaw. Southpaws unite. Left, left-handed persons are uh, superior, right? Exactly. Yeah, but I love it. Wyatt, what's your best uh, basketball story that you've had over your career? Ooh. Whether it be in a game or whether it be like on a travel trip or something? Uh-huh. I have, I have a couple good ones. I think one of my most memorable is I went to uh, AAU Nationals in North Carolina in seventh grade. And I went down and I visited Duke. I visited North Carolina, Wake Forest, all super fun places to visit. And it just gave me a perspective. And then I also played some of the, at the time, top recruits in the nation down in North Carolina and played with a good team. And it really showed me, I'm like, I mean, I got to get better. And that's what AEU does. I mean, it really pushes you. So that, that's probably my best. It was good, good bonding experience with people I've never met before. It was a whole new team. So that's probably my, that's my best story. Mm-hmm. Is that your goal, to just be the guy that everyone's trying to beat in Peach Jam, not the one that you're trying to beat? <laughs> For sure. I mean, obviously, and if everyone's trying to beat you, that pushes yourself to beat yourself, and you, you got to get better. But I obviously have tons of people to beat. I know I'm not the, I know I'm not the best person, and I know I, I got to get better. Now, you, you said that you're starting to realize that you have an inside-out game. You're able to drive. Uh, what skills are you, you know, you're, you're really trying to work on and hone in, the ones that aren't already in your bag? Uh, I would say, first of all, my weak hand, so my right hand, I, I, wanna, I want it to be equal to my left but by the end of the season. And uh, I'm getting there. I've been doing a lot of ball handling. And another one would just be quick first steps, stuff like that. You catch the ball, and I want to be able to get, get right by a defender, not waste time, stuff like that. And, and use my body. I want to use my body. I want to. I want to be able to drive the lane, kick out, passing stuff like that. Are you, are you hoping to get in a dunk this season? I think you tried oh, to dunk one sure. season and didn't get it. 
Yeah, I tried last season, didn't get it, and I before I got hurt, I was dunking pretty easily. I did a lot of a lot of strength develop developing, and um, yeah, for sure, for sure. How how mad was Coach Finnegan at you after you missed that dunk last year? Oh, the the first one I tried twice. The first one he wasn't too mad, and then the second one was in a playoff game towards the end of the game. We just had to finish it out, and I went for the dunk, and uh, it didn't go well. They were pretty disappointed. But that's that's that that's that two sides of the coin. Had you made that, everybody would have went crazy. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. How, how's the how's the hip injury coming along? Um, so, so I'm looking at another another. I mean, I could get cleared Wednesday. I have a doctor's appointment with Doctor Kerr, but uh, after if I get cleared Wednesday, it's just a little bit of PT, getting back into sprinting, explosive movement, and then I'll, I'll be good to go. So hopefully, no more than another two weeks. Okay, so by the time that basketball, at least right now, start up, and yeah, I'll be good. Now, most of this basketball season is going to be dominated by conference play. Yep. Uh, you know, you're going to be playing just those conference foes. Mm-hmm. What is it like? That has to put an extra emphasis on winning the conference this year, does it not? Oh, for sure, and especially if we have limited games, every game's every game's the biggest game of the year, and um, our conference is going to be tough. There's a lot of great players in it this year, young guys. And uh, it'll be tough, but yes, it puts it puts every game at the most important game, and you take it one game, one game at a time. And uh, yeah, they're the biggest thing this year because there's not any non-conference games, and we had a couple non-conference games that I was looking forward to on our schedule, like Central and River Rouge. Those are big games, but our not our, our conference games are the most important. And SF has, I think, I believe we've won the con- we've won the conference a couple years in a row at least. So hopefully we can keep that streak alive. So looking ahead in the future, like four or five years, um, which Nasadis has scored the most points by that point? Because I hear your younger sister is pretty good. Yes, Harper. I'm gonna bet my money on myself, but she's pretty good. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna underestimate her. But I think it's gonna be me. I mean, do you guys do you guys face off uh, playing basketball together? Then we have we've played a couple times, but it's all in good fun. I mess with her, but she definitely gets better for me and my dad. Me and my dad always push her to be good, and she she learns from it. She takes it. She takes it well. Who wins in one-on-one games between you and the coaches? Oh, I'm gonna be honest. Last year, I'd always challenge the coaches, and they'd beat me. They'd always beat me. You'd be shocked at how good they are, even if they don't still play. I know Chuck Shuba still plays pretty regularly. Yes, he does. Yes, he's he's tough. Well, Wyatt. We really appreciate you spending some time with us here at the Get Around. It's been great getting to know you and getting to know a little bit more about the Gladiators this season. Good luck with your hip and good luck uh, with the basketball season. Yeah, thank you guys. Good to talk to you guys. Another huge thank you to Wyatt Nausadis for joining us here at the Get Around. Another rising star for the Traverse City St. Francis Gladiators. And we look forward to having him and the Gladiators back on the court, hopefully before February 21st, but at least on February 21st, uh, him being able to recover from that injury. You know, it's definitely a little special situation for him. So we're excited to see him back on the court. That interview sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Order Tasty Sandwich today with the Jimmy John's app. That's going to lead us into the Chatter That Matters section in which I, you know, have to address a column that I wrote this weekend. I know... Uh, I'm not sure if anybody saw it, but I will just give a background. Oh, some people saw it. Some people did see it. Um, you know, I, I wrote a column after the 
the state finals uh, concluded about football here in northern Michigan. I just figured I was not going to go into a Facebook comment section and try to respond and try to, you know, talk about my my opinion and why I think this way um, through Facebook. Text is usually not the best way to convey a message, obviously. Uh, that comes across like that when I, you know, wrote the column itself. That is in a form of text, and it did not get conveyed quite the way I thought it may. But nonetheless, you know, the timing that I wrote this column at probably could have been better. Doing it right after the state finals is just, you know, probably not the best taste, and I, I do apologize for that. The thing that, you know, the, the point of the column basically was, you know, running the football versus passing the football and just adding some passing into the game. And the way that I looked at it was not as a condemnation of anything that – we do here in Northern Michigan. We saw five teams in 11-player football make their way all the way to the state semifinals this year, which is, we talked about it on this podcast, literally nothing short of amazing comparatively to what we've had in the past. I mean, we had more teams go that deep into the playoffs than probably ever before. And James, I, you can back me up on that. We talked about that a couple times. Is that not right? It, it's, it's definitely the most in the 20 years that I've been here. Which, exactly. And that's not shorting anything that anybody has done. I've, I'm not here to literally take away from any type of run that has been here. If you look at the stories and everything that we've gone through with these teams in the last few you know, weeks, months, um, well, really the longest football season, the hardest football season that's ever happened with 63-day shutdowns and COVID protocols and all this stuff, the adversity that has been these teams have faced is nothing short of incredible. And overcoming that to to make it as deep as everybody has, has been outstanding. And watching that success has been incredible. And I, I mean, I take great pride in watching our teams from Northern Michigan have that success and going downstate and representing Northern Michigan very, very well. When, when I got the idea for the column, it actually came after the game. There was a couple of downstate reporters asking coaches, did you think you deserve to be here? Or is this a fluke? And I feel like that happens all the time. I know you know, Coach Cody Mallory actually used that one of his quotes. He said, when we made the regional final a year ago, after going one and eight, everybody was just like, this is just a fluke. This is a fluke. There's no way it's going to happen again. But they come back and they make their way all the way down to the state title for the first time ever, which once again, that is such an amazing accomplishment when you look at what this season has been like and what you've had to go through coming off of a 60-day, you know, well, almost 60, I think it was 56, but a 60-day shutdown to come back and have to perform at such a high level that you are... Uh, expected to make a state final. or I mean, really, they weren't expected to make it at all, but they went ahead and did that anyways. And what I wrote, to me, I was not trying to take away from the style of play that I've seen as a trend here in northern Michigan. Rather, I wanted to hopefully add a little something to it and maybe offer a suggestion to hope, hopefully boost the success of the area even just a little bit. I know that, obviously, I've taken a lot of, what's the best way to put this? Eat. Yeah, some heat. I've taken some heat on uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, um, over the last couple of days for what I had said. And you know, when I read back in my column, I didn't, you know, I, I really didn't feel I tried to call anybody out. I wasn't trying to point fingers at any in, anybody in particular. In fact, once again, I will reiterate this. I, I really think that our our athletes up here are underrated by the rest of the people around the state. You know, we we have fantastic athletes up here who literally are competing with the best of them. If you see what Travis E. St. Francis was able to do. Um, if you saw what Cadillac's defense was able to do against some of those big guys, one of those guys going to Northwestern um, on that offensive line, if you saw the play, you know that these kids are on the same level as anybody else in the state. But, you know, when I brought this up, it was more about adding a new wrinkle into our game up here to just try to get over that hump, get to that next level, and do it consistently. It wasn't something to 
degrade what has gone on up here. I know there are dozens of teams up here who are running their veers, their wing tees, and that's what works in high school in a lot of instances. But as we've seen, as, as you grow, as you get into higher levels of football, that's not you know, what, what the case is any longer in 2021. And just seeing that as a reporter, you know, I played football for 12 years. I actually went to a private school downstate, Divine Child High School, and got my butt, butt whooped by the Detroit Catholic Centrals and the Brother Rices and the De La Salles. We were in that Catholic 1-8 league. And uh, what you had to do is you had to, you know, adjust, adapt, overcome. And when I said what I said, that was more about trying to move with the times and adjust what we are doing to make it a better outcome and to see the results that we'd like to see. I know that everybody likes to see the result of five teams in the state semifinals, two down at Ford Field. I am no different. The fact that I got to go... And another in the eight-player. And Yeah, and Sutton's Bay going down and doing it, what, two years in a row now, making a name for themselves. Just a week ago on this podcast, I'm, I'm putting them in a powerhouse category. You know, a state powerhouse category coming from northern Michigan. I don't know that anybody else downstate is doing that, especially, um, you know, you see what happened to them in the state finals. But nonetheless, I think that they are something to be reckoned with for years to come. And I think about that about a lot of our teams. But one of the things that I just had to, you know, bring up, obviously, was I, I didn't try. I'm not, I'm not trying to degrade what the coaches around here have done. I'm just trying to hopefully add a little something to uh, what I see and what we've what we've been able to accomplish up here, because I know that. All of these athletes are capable of winning these state titles. You know, all these coaches are capable of winning these state titles. And it's not that anything that they've done has not allowed them to do that. They would have never gotten to the place that they are without doing that. But if you look at the trends and you look at things from a, you know, an outsider's perspective, I, you know, I came from downstate. I used to write sports downstate uh, at the Lansing State Journal in the Lansing area. Uh, I, you know, I played football at a private school downstate growing up here. I've seen it. I heard it as a kid. You know, I, when I was 17, I heard it as a kid about up north football and even all the vitriol about private schools getting kids. And, you know, I went to a private school and my mom worked her butt off. A single mom worked three jobs to put me through a divine child because it's I mean, it was 45 minutes from my home. You know, I lived in Lincoln Park and that's in Dearborn and that was a 45 minute drive every morning my mom had to make to get me to school and could then go work three jobs to make sure I could do it. I, I've been in this situation before and it's not coming from a place of just oh this is what it is and how i see it i i've i've ran through these types of things before and you know after after being here for several years i felt i might have the platform to hopefully add something to the area and obviously i know it wasn't taken that way i apologize for the timing and it being directly after a couple of losses which i know it is never the best time to kind of talk about a loss or talk about what has happened after a run like that but yeah and part of the part of the thing of the timing is on me i mean uh you know i okayed that you know doing that right in the column and having that column and everything maybe we should have waited a week for emotions to calm down and, and stuff but you know i think if you went and asked any coach you know hey would it be nice if you could throw for 200 yards a game they would say yeah i i, I don't disagree I, I just it was just more or less and the, the only thing that i said was two things I just think that passing needs to be taken more seriously and kicking needs to be taken more seriously. However you want to take that, that's up to you. But that's about it. Just more than a few times a game or when it is absolutely necessary to throw the football, I feel like just it needs to be taken a little bit more seriously as a part of the game up here. We see over and over again, there's even sometimes teams uh, who, who can't defend that well against the pass because they don't see it very often, you know, coming here from northern Michigan. You get down to a district or a regional level and somebody has a quarterback that is able to throw for 300 or 250 yards and a few touchdowns, 
it's tough on these teams' defenses because they don't see it all the time. So more or less, I just wanted to offer, instead of having any type of excuse for a loss or anything like that, I wanted to ho- hopefully try to offer some help or some solution. And I know that, obviously, mm. most people don't see sports writers as the answer to anybody's problems. And, you know, armchair quarterbacking and everything like that. Like, But, you know, I do, I do like to think that I have... I've spent a considerable amount of time around the game of football and um, have watched it. I've done my research, and I know that you know high school. A lot of high school coaches they run the football all the time. There's a big fraternity of coaches who are in on the veer, who are in on the wing tee, who are in on the power football because it, it has worked for decades. But I, I just was hoping to maybe snag a little ear here or there and maybe get everybody thinking. That's all that the, the column was about. And I do apologize once again for the timing of the column and you know the way that it came off. I do want to clarify the rhetorical questions at the beginning of my column were never questions that I was asking. These are the questions that I heard from other people who didn't know our teams, who didn't know our coaches, who didn't know the players that were down there. And that's kind of what irked me and what made me write the column in the first place is because I think that these athletes are all on the exact same playing field as anybody who's south of Lansing or south of Mount Pleasant or wherever you want to put them. You put them on one of those teams, they're starting, they're doing the, they're doing the damn thing, you know? And that's, that's just one of, the, one of the reasons why I wrote it is because I really do, that's all I want is to see the ultimate success for our area teams, to see the joy on these kids' faces when they can win a state final. You know, it's tough to, you know, interview kids who, seniors who just played their last football game and lost at you know the highest level it's tough for for us to go and try to talk to these kids and have them talk to us and just i i just i could imagine i wish and i know we all do listening playing coaching we all wish that that is just the pinnacle is what is reached all the time but i i just i hope even if it didn't even if even if you know it wasn't the best timed or the best worded i hope that at least opens a conversation here or there um about you know, how we can all up our games, even me, and how I can do better at what I do and how I can be better at um, choosing newsworthiness or timing or anything like that, how we can all be more successful together. And that's what I really think it's about, not anything or condemnations about these coaches or their players, but more about going forward uh, with bigger heads and bigger hearts in mind. So that will lead us into our Hall of Fame where we're going to recognize a few of our best performers from the state finals this past weekend. I know we also had a couple of skiers uh, going on this week, so I don't know if anybody's going to yeah, make their way into there. But That's what I was doing I, on uh, Friday, like climbing up Hickory Hills and just freezing my absolute butt off on 500 feet in the air while you guys were down in Detroit watching some football. Now, I, I mean, do you want to go we, first? Did you have anybody from the Peppy Town Slalom that you wanted to put up? I did, yeah. Uh, my, my, my nomination is Charlie Licht. He's a freshman at TC West. He told me he was looking forward to this meet all throughout uh, his middle school skiing career, and it clearly showed. He won it. So, um, And like you said, beating beating his teammate Aiden Lewandowski nonetheless. Well, Aiden fell on his first run, and then still on the, on the second run, Aiden, you, you saw it, and everyone knew. It's like, okay, that's the fastest one of the day. You know, like – I, I don't understand why it is about skiing. It's like, okay, millimeter, milliseconds. and You got to be perfect. You got to be perfect. You are. But you saw Eden's second run, and you're like, gosh, that was so darn good. I don't know what the time was, but that was the fastest one of the day. But Charlie licked. Charlie put two two runs together that were, I think, high 28s, or low 28s, high, uh, low 29. Put it together, and he, you know, won the event. So good for him. James, who are you putting up from your game? I think I have an idea. Yeah, I'm going to put up Aiden Schmuckle. I mean, 
that kid, uh, he just he did just about everything in that game. He uh, he had 17, oh, boy. 102 yards, scored two touchdowns, um, and then uh, they had defense. They only credited him with five tackles. It's oh no like, way. Well, see once again, cause... Like more than that. But it also probably had to do with the fact that he was just tackling kids on all of his plays anyways. Yeah, every one of his tackles was solo, according to the MHS. And then he had a sack and three tackles for a loss as well. Alrighty, and then from my game, I'm going to put up the junior linebacker and running back, Colin Johnston. He obviously was a big cog in that machine, and he has all season. Uh, he said to me the, the day before the game that he's you know, the leader of that defense, and they're coming to knock your teeth out. And I do not disagree when I saw him hitting with reckless abandon. He, they credited him with 10 tackles on the day, uh, also forced a fumble and had one and a half tackles for loss. He led the way with 53 rushing yards. Uh, and most of those came in the first half. Uh, but he had 79 all-purpose yards. He was returning kicks as well. And uh, I- I'm going to put him up. He was kind of a do-it-all for them. And, I mean, it, honestly, if you want to talk about somebody who was throwing blocks on the edge on their triple option, uh, Colin Johnston made some of the best seal blocks that you can make, along with uh, Nick Reinhold on the end. You saw them make some of these back crackback blocks just leading the way uh, for their running backs that were just impressive. So Colin Johnston is my nomination. Boys, let's go ahead and put it up for a vote. I'm going to, even though the numbers probably aren't there, I think I'm going to give it to Aiden Schmuckle in my vote. After watching him in that second half and kind of being the, the fire, I think, that lit underneath them, I'm going to go with Aiden Schmuckle. What do you guys think? I can concur with that. I mean, yeah, he was a big part of that comeback. Just the stopping them on defense and then just plowing through people on offense. You know, he was he played a big hand in that in that rally in the second half. Are we gonna make uh, it unanimous? Yeah, we're gonna make it unanimous. You know, they uh these the Fox Sports and Detroit announcers were really harping on him. They they thought he was really tough and just was playing a good game and yeah. I mean, somebody who's never seen him before, when you when you see a man play like that, it's definitely impressive. So congratulations to Aiden Schmuckle our latest inductee into the Get Around Hall of Fame, the most exclusive club in northern Michigan. That segment sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's spends six hours slicing and baking every day to make you a 30-second sandwich. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's freak, yeah. That means we got to dive into our trifecta, gentlemen. It, I guess we could make it short and sweet, but who knows? Trifecta for episode 160. Matt Stafford and the Lions are parting ways. Where does Matt Stafford go? And hopefully, what can we get back for him? James, you're the Lions guy. I want to know what you think. I mean, the, the obvious of where the, the thing that everybody I think mentions is the Indianapolis Colts because Philip Rivers just retired. Uh, if you've got the Texans, I guess, as a possibility if they're forced to trade Deshaun Watson. Although I think any trade that they make for him, they're going to get a quarterback back, either Sam Darnold from the Jets or Tua from the from the Dolphins. Because those are the two teams that he said he would, would like to go to. Why so, do you want to go to the Jets? I don't know. It's because he likes Robert Sala. He wants to play for him. So, you know, if if the rumors are true, and I don't think they are, that Aaron Rodgers is wants out of Green Bay after the the not deciding to go for it on fourth down, down eight points with two minutes to go, uh, that complicates things because it's another marquee quarterback on this on the market, obviously. But I think they got to at least get a first round pick for him, and it's at least got to be a first round pick. You know, that's not like 30th. The Colts pick 21st. So if the Colts are going to get him, it's going to be a first and a couple more futures or or another player or hopefully two futures. And if it's a, and if it's players, it's going to, they're going to probably demand young guys. 
because this this is a rebuild. They don't want vets. Yeah. In a rebuild. They want somebody who could be around in three, four years when that team hopefully comes together. I am really excited about uh, the assistant coaching staff. Yeah. I mean, Dan Campbell in the in the introductory press conference aside, um, the kneecaps and all that, uh, all that aside, um, the assistant coach, coaches he's been hiring and the hires that they've done in the front office, I am like really excited about. So much am I. more so you know, that Matt Patricia put together. Yeah, me too. Me too. And that's one yeah. of the reasons that. Yeah, they just they just all seem like good hires, and, and a lot of former players uh, represented in there too. So I think that the that what they're trying to coach will really be absorbed. Will resonate. I the the one the one thing I that they just hired like John Dorsey and everything is just like special roles in the front office. I do like what they're doing. Uh, I think it is time for a full rebuild. But there's one place that I thought about that could really intrigue some people, and the fact that we're not going to have a top pick this year or possibly you know next year it might be a year or two before we have maybe a number one pick if they actually tank all the way down to get like say a franchise quarterback you know it, it worries me trying to just waste a pick on a quarterback here or there and then trying to like toss him in the fire and let him go because we don't really have an option for quarterback at all if Matt Stafford leaves so I feel that you need to possibly get a quarterback back for Matt Stafford and if you think who how why there's one place I can think that I would be okay with of course I just don't see Deshaun Watson coming to Detroit but the one place that I think I would be okay with is trading him to Dallas for Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is coming off a torn Achilles and is his, going to be a, a free agent uh, after next year, I believe. I think he has one more on his contract. He got franchise tag to extend that out. So you could, you could trade him and get Dak Prescott, which would put the Lions in a situation either to draft a quarterback to put behind Dak Prescott or possibly take Dak Prescott into the future because he still is a young quarterback. Um, he still is a young guy with who I think has a lot of potential to uh, do very, very well in the NFL. Dallas, you know, Texas is Matt Stafford's home. That's his, uh, you know, where he's from of it originally. So I could kind of see all that working out possibly. And honestly, I could see a number four Prescott on the back of a Lions jersey. Uh, so hopefully maybe something like that. If they don't, if they're not able to get a first round draft pick, if they're not able to get everything they want and more, but they're able to get a quarterback back, I think that's their best option. Yeah, I think Houston's, Houston would be a possibility for some of the same reasons. In that, you know, he's from Texas and all that, but Houston doesn't have a number one pick this year either. Uh, you know, they traded away for Laramie Tunsil to the to the Dolphins, um, so they don't have a number one pick. So, what are they going to offer aside from Deshaun Watson? That's it. That's what I'm saying. I don't think I don't think that Dallas offers a pick or something. I mean, Deshaun Watson, one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL, so you're also taking on a huge contract if you get him. I think they happily would, but I happily uh, would. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think some other teams that are going to be looking at quarterbacks, you know, possibly the Jets if they don't land, if they don't land Deshaun Watson and they decide Sam Donald's not their guy, maybe Miami if they decide Tua's not their guy. Why would you decide Tua's not your guy, though? He's only played like four games. I know, but that's, for some reason, that's kind of conversation. The, the conversation over there. You know, Denver hasn't really settled on Drew Locke. Um, you know, same thing as San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, they settled um, on him. He has such a big contract there. Yeah, but you could trade big contract for big contract. Yeah. A- Andrew, Andrew, what, Andrew, what do you think? I've mulled over a couple options because you guys have brought up a lot of the things that I was going to say. Like, go, okay, you trade for draft picks and go to free agency. You trade for um, a high draft pick, like a Trevor. You go to Jacksonville and you trade for the number one pick, and you're basically trading Stafford for an undrafted. Tra- or a tra- you're basically trading Stafford for a Trevor Lawrence to be, and that's obviously a 
dream scenario for everyone, but I'm actually going to go with uh, trading him to, I, don't know, I really like the Bears defense. I really do. And that was the one thing about them this season that, and I'm biased, I know that, but that's the one thing about them this season that actually was half decent was you know, they held, they averaged what, 20 points a game, even through the, even through the, the divisional round. I half expected you to say to trade him to the Kansas Jayhawks. <laughs> well, he's not going to be a backup quarterback. Oh my god! But I, the only thing that is, once again, the Bears are in division, and yeah. and oh. they don't have much to offer. So I just don't see them trading him in division. I can see the Bears having interest, but I couldn't see the Lions reciprocating. Exactly. I can, I can, okay, their top five quarterbacks due for free agency in twenty twenty one: Dak Prescott. You mentioned him. Yep. And also Jacoby Brissett. Mitchell Trubisky, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tyrod Taylor. The those only, aren't bad the only, the, Yeah, the only one I'm interested in is Dak Prescott. Jacoby Brissett, maybe, but he's not somebody to ride the future with. But they've started games before. A short bridge deal, maybe. Maybe a short bridge deal. He did decent for Indianapolis oh, yeah. last season. They didn't get to the playoffs or anything, but he has the potential. Um, nonetheless, okay, how, about, how, about, how about this? And I, Financially, I don't know that it's doable because they're in cap hell. But how about... Dan Campbell trades for his former student and trades him to the New Orleans Saints for Adam Troutman and some picks. <laughs> well, now we have a double tight end super super dog there. Because Dan Campbell was the tight ends coach with the Saints, so yeah. Adam was his guy. But we still have we still have Hawkinson. So considering That's... no one's ever talked about that, we just brought it up <laughs> with the twelve personnel. Alrighty, well, that segment is sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's is freaks about fresh bread, meats, and veggies because that means better sandwiches for all. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's freak, yeah. That is going to give it the boot for episode 160 of the Get Around Podcast. Remember to follow James on Twitter at JamesCook14. Follow Andrew at ByAndrewR. Follow me at JakeAtNip. And follow us at TCRE Sports on all social media websites. Uh, we will be out and about and trying to navigate the shutdown just like everybody else over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you next week for episode 161.